welcome you here tonight. And I haven't made my way around to shake hands with everyone, but I always try to. And um, I'm just glad to see you here. Pray for some of our own that are sick tonight. There are several, a handful at least, that are not well at uh, home tonight. There's something going around apparently. And so pray for those that are not well, okay? All right, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Our text here tonight is going to begin in verse 12. We'll read it here in a second. But this section that we're going to read here is really the last major section of this epistle from Paul to the saints in Thessalonica. And our section begins in verse 12. It runs all the way down through verse 22. And what we're going to find here is that it's basically a long series of exhortations, commands, for this New Testament church. They really have to do with practical life inside of a church. And it's going to take us a little while to work our way through this portion here. Um, Tonight we'll, we'll consider just a portion of verse 12, actually. And so it'll be several weeks as we work our way through this whole section. I'll read the whole section because uh, it all relates together, and, and so it'll be a kind of a series inside of a series, if you want to put it that way. And I've entitled it, Responsibilities for a Healthy Church. So let's go ahead and look at these verses, beginning in verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. This portion, again, is really the last major section as Paul is beginning to wind down this letter to this church in Thessalonica. And he's giving a lot of practical life instruction uh, for function and for life inside of a New Testament church. And so this section is going to be instruction for us as well. Instruction for life in the church. Very practical, very basic, very straightforward, very direct instruction from God's Word. And let me tell you this, churches need good, healthy instruction like this. Uh, especially as we wait and anticipate the return of the Lord. Um, there are churches that are They've gotten so far off, so far away from, from the biblical pattern. They've become uh, churches that are entertainment complexes, churches that are just loaded full of programs to do, 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 keep people busy and so on. And there's some serious uh, biblical elements that are missing uh, from, from churches that, that really help them function in the way that God intends for a church to function that helps produce uh, the ability to do the work and the will of God. 
And so churches need a good, healthy dose of this kind of instruction right here. And the first part of, of this instruction really is, is verses 12 and 13. And I want to introduce basically tonight uh, by, by saying this. This is not a very easy or comfortable message for me to preach. Uh, most pastors won't feel comfortable talking about this kind of stuff with their congregation. But I do say this. It is the Word of God. It's part of the Word of God. It's instruction for us. And part of the responsibility of a pastor is to preach the whole counsel of God. And so we're just going to try to tackle it uh, as it comes uh, and trust that the Lord has something in it for us. And let me also uh, state that these two verses, verses 12 and 13, let's just read them again. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. This is dealing with the relationship between pastors and church members, between shepherds and sheep. Now, everybody wants healthy relationships. I don't think people in general want uh, everybody uh, that they know uh, to, to dislike them or their relationships to always be full of tension and so on. People want, generally want healthy relationships, but sometimes we assume that good relationships just blossom spontaneously. Sometimes they do, and that's a wonderful thing when they thrive spontaneously like that. Uh, but, but generally speaking, relationships, healthy relationships, require work and require responsibility. For relationships to flourish, all of the parties involved need to understand and work at fulfilling those mutual responsibilities in order for those relationships really to thrive. That's true in families. It's true in the local church. And healthy churches, here's the point, healthy churches don't just happen. Healthy churches require that both leaders and members fulfill their responsibilities. And so as Paul is concluding this letter to a young church in a pagan city with some very practical counsel about the responsibilities in the local church, well, I want to break this down for you and basically give you a framework from which we're going to approach this passage over the next few weeks. In verses 12 and 13, it shows the church's responsibility towards its leaders. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. It shows the church's responsibility towards its leaders to, number one, know them, number two, esteem them highly in love, and then thirdly, to live in peace with one another. That's the church's responsibility towards its leaders. But these verses also show the leader's responsibilities toward the church. We find in here that they are to labor among them, to work hard. We, are, we find here that they are to have charge over the church. And then thirdly, to admonish the church. Then you get to verses 14 and 15, which we'll cover in the next few weeks. It shows the church's responsibilities towards one another. We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. 
And so this is going to be a basic framework from which we approach this passage over the next few weeks. And let me just give you the thesis and the thought behind the message here tonight. For a healthy church to happen, the church and its pastors need to understand that they have mutual responsibilities to each other in the Lord. Like I said, relationships don't just happen. Healthy churches don't just happen. For a healthy church, the church and its pastors need to understand they have mutual responsibilities in the Lord. We're going to look first of all at the responsibilities of church members, and then we're going to see the responsibilities of church leaders in the coming weeks. What we find here, first of all, in verse 12 and verse 13, that the church is responsible to know its pastors, to esteem them in love, and to live in peace with one another. Verse 12 says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. The church is responsible to know its pastors, to esteem them in love, and then live at peace with one another. Before we dig into this, I just want to make a, a comment here. I want to point out that in some churches, some American churches mostly, um, there needs to be a major shift in how we think about the church. Americans, I think, often view the church as a business or a service organization that provides benefits for its members and its consumers. And customers come and they shop around for a church that provides the benefits that they're looking for. And then they attend and then support, you know, the best church that'll give us what we want. And then later on, if that church fails in some way to provide that desired benefit that, you know, I once had, then the customer looks for another church that might do a better job. Churches often cater to that kind of consumer mindset by marketing their church as offering the best services available. Our children's programs and our, our, our adult ministries and our single ministries and our drama and our whatevers that we have. There was, I, I'm not kidding you, I was, I was stunned when I heard this because I didn't know such a thing even existed. Even as much as I think I know about evangelical churches and so on in America, when this was presented to me, I was just completely floored. There was a pastor friend of mine who was telling me about a situation that he was in where, where he was you know, being introduced to some of the pastors in the, in the community and so on, one of those you know, prayer breakfast kind of whatever type things. And there was a woman there who happened to be at this thing who was introducing herself, and she introduced herself to this pastor. And the way that she introduced herself was, at, was the pastor of marketing at such and such a church. The pastor of marketing at such and such a church. I didn't even know such a thing existed. I didn't know churches needed pastors of marketing in them. But apparently that's a thing now. Listen, in the New Testament, 
The church is not a business that competes in the religion marketplace to provide the best service or benefit for spiritual consumers. Rather, the local church is a living organism. It's a body that is made up of born-again, baptized believers who've been placed there on purpose according to the good pleasure of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. God has set the members in the body as it hath pleased Him. The Holy Spirit then gifts each one of these members in a particular way for service in that church. That's how we serve the Lord, through the local New Testament church. And so the local church, listen, is only healthy when every single member is functioning as it's supposed to function for the the good and the building up of the whole. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 with me. Hold your place and look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 12, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. First of all, the Lord gave those uh, ministers to, as gifts to his New Testament church. Okay, The Lord gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. For what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. All right, So the pastors and teachers are gifts to New Testament churches, but then he shifts gears here and he includes everybody else. He says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now let's keep reading that we henceforth from here on out, Be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Every member has a job. Every member has a purpose. Every member needs to function according to the will of God for the edification of the whole. And so, we maybe need to examine the way that we view our church or what a New Testament church actually is and get rid of the notion that the church is here to service me or to provide benefits for me as a consumer. We need to adopt the New Testament understanding of the New Testament church as the body of Christ, living organism with functioning parts that needs to be increasing for the glory of God. I want to give you three responsibilities that Paul mentions to this young church here found in our text. Obviously, these are not exhaustive and we'll not treat them as such, but they focus particularly on the needs in that church, and they become very relevant and very practical 
for us today. The three things, go back to our text, is to know them, know their pastors. Number two, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. We're probably only going to get through one of these here tonight. So I want you to pay attention. Like I said, it's not an easy kind of message for me to preach, but it is the Word of God, and so let's take it as such. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight, and I pray that you'd use your Word to encourage, challenge us, and Lord, ultimately, that you would be magnified, glorified in our lives, and that we would be more like Jesus Christ. For it's His name we pray. Amen. First of all, the first responsibility that Paul mentions is in, in the first part of verse 12, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. The first responsibility on the part of the church towards its pastors in, in relationships here is to know them. To know them. They were to make it their business to know their spiritual leaders. The word know here, it means to see, it means to consider, and then it means to understand. You see the progression here? To observe, then to consider, and then to understand. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever given this much thought at all? Your responsibility to know your pastors. Most church members expect their pastors to know them. We want our spiritual leaders to be considerate of our spiritual needs and to take those into account. But what about this command to know them? To know them or to understand them is something that, that we... Listen, just in general, to know something or to understand something is something we don't intuitively or naturally know and therefore requires some study, it requires some observation, and it implies that there's an amount of effort that's being put into it. You follow that? How do you become best friends with somebody? Well, you've got to get to know them. And when it doesn't just, when you don't know them intuitively or naturally, it requires some effort. That needs to be put in. Now, I just want to make this notation. I find this very interesting that when it comes to instructions for a healthy church, that Paul starts right here with this issue. Relationships between pastors and church members, church members and pastors. These two verses speak of the issue of the relationship between shepherds and sheep. And, 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 and brethren, I would tell you this. This is right where a healthy church starts in its relationships. Nothing is more devastating to the spiritual progress of a church than an unhealthy relationship between the shepherds and the sheep. How can anything be done? How can any progress be made? How can there be anything that's accomplished for the Lord if that relationship is not what it should be? You can't have a healthy flock with that kind of a problem. 
The relationship, listen, the relationship that your pastors have with you and that you have with us as leaders is so crucial in the life of this church. And let me tell you this, devastation of a massive proportion occurs when ch- in churches where there's a breakdown of confidence or trust or love or affection between shepherds and sheep. I've just been dealing with something this last week that is very burdensome to me. And seeing the credibility of one start to be diminished in the eyes of uh, uh, in the eyes of church members you know towards their pastor and so on and that credibility starting to be diminished is starting to or will start to cause other problems inside of that body that could be completely devastating to a life of a church that is strong and sound and good <clears throat> And so, the question here is, how well do you know your pastors? I want you to see two just very practical things about knowing your pastor. Paul says, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Two very practical things about knowing your pastor. We're going to see their burdens, and secondly, their battles. Things that you as church members, should know. Know their burdens and know their battles. First of all, consider their burdens. In many churches, the people know the pastor's address. They definitely know his phone number. But do they know his needs? Do they know his burdens? The things that keep him awake at night? Do they know what gives him the most joy? or the things that cause him the greatest sadness? What is it that concerns him the most? When he loses sleep, what is the cause of that unrest? Have you ever pondered what your pastor's greatest burden actually is? I could say it singularly, I could say it it plurally. Remember, Your pastors have bills to pay, just like you do. They have illness and health issues, just like any other man. They think about things like affording vacations and retirement concerns. What about family issues? They have similar issues that you have in your home. Your pastors have virtually the same or at least similar personal challenges that you have. But the difference is... In almost every case, those things are not the things that weigh heaviest on his mind and on his heart. Actually, the problems or the difficulties that burden most pastors are not even their own hardships. But rather those things that have to do with the members of the congregation that they serve. Go to Galatians chapter 4, because Paul uses some very graphic language here in describing his burden for the members of the churches at Galatia. Galatians chapter 4, in verse 19. 
in verse 20, Paul says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Now notice the very first thing he says and calls them, he calls them my little children. This describes Paul's tenderness and his affection toward them. He loved them like a father loves his children, as though they were his own family. He says, my little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. What was the goal of of the Apostle Paul for the church at Galatia? The primary thing that burdened his soul was that Christ be formed in them. Him calling them little children is just a description of his tenderness and his affection towards them. You remember what Paul said to the church in Thessalonica? We we talked much about this as we worked through chapter 2. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul said, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. Why? Because ye were dear unto us. Here's the application. It might seem to some that the pastor is simply delivering the message of truth. No more than a mailman delivers the mail. The mailman has a message for you. And it's his job. His job requires him to make sure that that message gets to you. And what you do with the mail is of no concern to him. For your pastor, there's so much more involved than that. Number one, he prayerfully studies and prepares to present that message as much as is humanly possible in a way that is clearly understood to the people. But he does it with a passion that accompanies the the awareness that this truth has the power to impact a life, to change a family, and even impact an entire generation. In relation to that thought, One pastor tells the story of a time that he was watching his neighbor sift through his mail at his mailbox. And he tells the story how he observed his neighbor who walked out to his mailbox. He grabs all the mail inside and he observed that there was a trash can sitting right next to the mailbox. And as he sifted through the mail, he just tossed the junk mail into the trash can and most of it was gone he only had maybe one piece of mail left in his hand when it was all said and done he threw out most of the message most of the mail and you know if the mailman saw him do that that likely wouldn't be offensive at all to the mailman he doesn't care what you do with the mail his job is just to get you the message That is not the case for a pastor, though. He finds it extremely troubling to observe his people discarding and not applying God's word in their life. It's troublesome. 
When a pastor doesn't see evidence that God is working in the life of his people through his word and through his spirit, it's something that burdens him. Talking about knowing his burdens. Sure, there's a sense of satisfaction in that the message has been delivered, but the goal is not simply to get the message out. The goal is to see that people receive it and apply God's truth in their life, and it causes them to then grow in their relationship to the Lord. Why? Because He cares for them deeply. Paul's burden for them was to see Christ being formed in them. The spiritual direction of His people is probably the pastor's greatest burden. That's something that every church member should know about their pastors. On most days and at most times, the pastor's greatest burden is not his own personal issues. It's not his own personal finances or his health problems or his retirement or anything else, but rather the spiritual needs of his family and then that of his congregation. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You're probably familiar with this passage. In 2 Corinthians 11, probably starting in verse 16 or so, the Apostle Paul details experiences and sufferings in the ministry. He talks about being beaten and being put in prison. And let's just look at verse 16. He says, I say again, let no man think me a fool if otherwise, yet as a fool receive me that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. I think I need to get into the right place. Am I in the right place? Yeah. Yeah, skip down here to, to verse 19. He says, for ye suffer... Fools, gladly, seeing yourselves are wise, for ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage. This is not what I want. Yeah, it is. I just need to get farther down. My, I'm sorry. Skip down to verse, uh, verse 23. He says, And they ministers, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of mine own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. In watching often. In hunger and thirst. In fasting often. In cold and nakedness. He describes here and lays out experiences and sufferings in ministry, but then he gets to verse 28. And he says, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He had his own personal things, surely and certainly. But the thing that came upon him daily was the care of the churches. It was something Paul was never without. He woke up with it in the morning. He went to sleep with it at night. It was a daily concern. 
What was his concern? The care of the churches, the spiritual growth and the progress in their lives. Let me tell you this, brethren. It's encouraging when everyone is here when the church assembles. That's always encouraging. Rarely do we have everybody here at the same time. That's always encouraging when everybody's here when the church assembles. And it's appreciated when the bodily presence is here. It's necessary. But let me tell you this. It's not the most important thing in the life of a pastor to have everybody here at the same time. What he lives for is seeing members become more like Christ. Maturing in their walk with the Lord. Seeing them serving, seeing them giving, seeing them sharing the gospel, leading their families in a godly way, loving their brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the most important thing. Is seeing Christ being formed in them. How well do you know your pastor? Do you ever think about the burden he might be carrying for you and for your family? The question maybe could be this, what could you do to help with that burden? What would mean more than most everything else and more than most ever could ever realize is to see the evidence of God working in your life. That would mean the most. You know what? You should be faithful in attendance. When the doors are open, you should be here. All of you are here. Praise the Lord. That's important. You can also demonstrate an interest in the messages and respond to God's truth in a positive way. I know it's hard after lunch sometimes. <laughs> I catch many of you sleeping. <laughs> but I get it. You know what else you can do? You can be available to serve the Lord in the church. When needs come up, be available. It makes a difference to a church when there are people who say, you know what, I can do that. I can serve the Lord. Yeah, I might have to sacrifice a little bit, but that's okay. I'll do it. Most of the time, maybe not necessarily here, but in many churches and most of the time, people will squeeze in when they've got a few extra hours. You need to support the ministry with tithes and with offerings. Friend, if you're not tithing, you're disobeying the Lord. You're not functioning like a body part is supposed to function. It's disobedience to the Lord. How about participation in functions? Let me just throw this out here. I don't know that this is a thing that anybody's even thinking this, but I'm just going to throw it out just in case. We've got family camp coming up in June. There might be some who think, well, I don't have a family, and so it's not really that relevant, and so I'm not going to go. Let me tell you this, you do have a family. It's us. You can encourage and you can bless others by your participation and fellowship. 
Don't miss out on the fact that you could be a blessing to somebody else. Most of the time we look at it in the other way. How can things be a blessing to me? Well, that doesn't apply to me, so... You see the responsibility? You never know what kind of encouragement you could be to somebody just because you participated in the function of the body. Be present when there's outreach opportunities. We're going to be starting Great Commission Day up again. When those opportunities come around, be present. Show up for church work days. Volunteer. Share an occasional testimony of what God is doing in your life. All of those things are things that you can do to help in that burden. Your pastors may never tell you this, but when we stand before you several times every week, we have needs just like you do. We've got physical needs, we've got financial needs, we've got family burdens, but I promise you those are not the things that are foremost on our minds. My greatest burden is for you because I love you and I care for each and every one of you. How well do you know your pastor? Paul admonished the church. Know them. Know their burden. Secondly, and I'll do this quickly, know their battles. Know their battles. One study found that out of 10 men who begin in the gospel ministry, only one will still be in the ministry at the time of retirement. There could be any number of reasons for that, but one of the reasons that regularly came up in this study had to do with the intensity of the pressures and the problems that sometimes exist in a church. Some people think that a, a job of a pastor, man, that would be a dream job. You don't have to hardly work. You get paid to study the Bible. You only have to preach a couple times a week. You've got flexible hours, and you even got some time to go play golf every once in a while. Unless there's COVID and you can't actually get on a golf course. Another study done listed the four hardest jobs in America. One was being the president of the United States, at least if you're a conservative. But another one of those was that of a pastor. I thought, could that be true? Could it be that those in roles of spiritual leadership experience an elevated level of spiritual and emotional intensity? Could it be? I think this is another piece of the puzzle that helps us know them which labor among you in the Lord. Let me give you a few of the unique challenges that your pastors may be facing at any given time. And all of us will experience these difficulties to some degree. But because of a pastor's position, he may endure them with more frequency and more intensity. Number one, spiritual and emotional warfare. This is a battle. We're in a war. Satan hates our God. He hates his truth and all associated with him. He'll do all that he can to defeat the work of the Lord. He faces doubts. He faces discouragements. He faces fears. Faces loneliness. 
faces critics and rejection, and sometimes even burnout. Are these battles real for your pastors? They are, at some time or another, very common for most in that position of spiritual leadership. Do you remember John the Baptist when he was sitting in prison? What did he send his disciple to go and ask of Jesus? Are you the one? Are you really the one that we've looked for or do we look for another? But remember what John was proclaiming in John chapter 1 in verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. What a flop. What a change of mindset. How in the world did that happen? Discouragement? Doubt? Persecution, loneliness, rejection. You remember Elijah, who was in a state of depression, thinking that he was alone, he was the only one left. You remember that? And he pouted. Say, man, Elijah, suck it up. What a baby. Why do preachers get discouraged and doubt themselves? Well, here's the answer. They're human. (laughs) They're human. They have emotions. They feel pain too. They struggle with things. They struggle with what seems like a lack of progress in ministry. Let me tell you, preachers take that personally. They do. If a church member thinks their pastor isn't touched by these things, then maybe they don't know them very well. We'll talk more about this maybe another time. Paul says in relation to a pastor, they labor. They also admonish you in the Lord. One thing that is helpful to a pastor is that when there's correction that comes in your life, maybe by the mouth of a pastor, when he never has to worry that he's going to lose you as a church member because of some correction, that's something that's really encouraging. There's a lot of pastors who won't do it because they're afraid. They're afraid of causing damage. They're afraid of losing people. But when a pastor is confident that his people love the Lord and they love God more than anything else, they can handle and take admonishment from the Word of God. And he knows they're going to grow. That's a blessing. It's an encouragement. Let me just kind of wrap it all up here. I think I'm running out of time. How can pastors and congregations work together to navigate through the unique challenges of spiritual leadership? Paul said to the church, know them. Know your pastors. But how can they work together? Well, first of all, there needs to be some self-examination. 
Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Paul wrote to Timothy about the importance of maintaining his own personal life, keeping himself in good working order spiritually and emotionally. And let me tell you this, we all need this, every one of us. We all need that sense of personal responsibility to keep ourselves yielded to the Lord and obedient to Him. That fixes a whole lot of things. Amen. Secondly, there's accountability. Accountability is another thing that we all need. It's important for pastors and church members alike to be accountable. First to our own personal goals and standards before the Lord, but then also to each other. A close friend, a peer who is godly, when we consider one another and we provoke unto love and do the good works, listen, that helps a church become very healthy when its own members are accountable to each other. Hey, brother, what's going on? Hey, sister, there's a sense that there are some struggles happening. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? You want to talk about it? When was the last time you did that? It's going to require a measure of humility, but the reward is worth it. Another element is prayer. We need to pray for one another. When Jesus warned Peter about his impending denial, Jesus said this, Peter, I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Personal, corporate, intercessory prayer is so vital to spiritual victory. We need to pray for each other. And fourthly, we need encouragement. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6 says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Like David, we need encouragement. We need to encourage ourselves in the Lord, number one. But God's people can help each other and their pastor through difficult times by encouraging one another. We've talked about this recently. You need to be the kind of church member that's an encourager. The average pastor will regularly, in some way, help hold up the weary hands that hang down in the lives of people in his church. But who holds up his hands? What is it that gives a pastor the greatest joy? Well, the answer is you. You do. Third John, verse 4, John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Seeing his spiritual children increasing in their walk of obedience and faith to Christ gave him the greatest joy. What did Paul say to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 2? 1 Thessalonians 2.19 For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. 
How do you have a healthy church? Well, Paul gives instruction to the church in Thessalonica. And the first thing he says is, you have the right relationship between your pastors and you. But we all have responsibility in that. It requires some effort. Amen. And he said, the first thing he says is to know them. Know them. Understand them. Observe them. That labor among you in the Lord. That's all the time we have for tonight. So Lord willing, next week we'll consider the second responsibility in verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Preferably that's some food for thoughts and just the things to meditate on, to ponder. All right? And may the word of God encourage and challenge your heart tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, it's not always easy, but it's always good. And I pray, Lord, that you'd use it in our life and we would be the kind of people that were diligent about being doers of your word, applying its principles in our life that we may grow, that Christ might be formed in us. In Jesus' name, amen.